Hey, it's a good morning. It's a good day. Wonderful. It's working. I hope you are. <laughs> uh, but what a story, hey, to uh, see and hear Annie's testimony and uh, to witness her baptism. It's just a young person who's decided to follow Jesus, and that's a very good story. But over the last uh, number of weeks, we've been looking at this um, salt and light theme uh, about how we can make a difference. And we've looked at these two powerful metaphors um, over this last few weeks. And today we're going to sort of um, draw the threads together and recognize that we can make a difference. There was um, a, a literate alcoholic guy. His name was Arthur Stace. And he was um, in a Baptist church in, the nine, in 1930. He'd made a very big mess of his life, but he opened up his heart and gave his life to Jesus and was radically transformed and changed from the inside out. And he's sitting in that church, and there's an evangelist by the name of John Ridley, who was the speaker that morning, and he, or that evening actually, it was uh, on the theme of eternity. And as Mr. Ridley was speaking about this whole topic of eternity, how God has placed eternity in our hearts, and we need to make a decision about where we're going to go when we die. Where are we going to go? That's a good question. And uh, John Ridley, sorry, um, Arthur Stace was very moved by this message, and he um, felt moved. He was actually crying in his seat and felt very called by God to write that word, eternity. Now, he couldn't really write very much, but he went out onto the pavement, found a piece of chalk, and wrote the word eternity in beautiful uh, copper plate sort of script writing uh, on the pavement. And um, he actually did that for 35 years throughout Sydney um, on pavements and pathways, wherever he could, he wrote that word. And he became known by the media as Mr. Eternity. And he was able to make a difference through that very simple contribution. And people were called uh, to Christ as a result of that. In fact, uh, at the turn of the millennium on, you know, uh, 2000, uh, the, as it ticked over into the new millennium, you'll see on the screen there that the organizers put eternity on Sydney Harbour Bridge. That was the impact of a converted, illiterate alcoholic making a difference simply by writing the word eternity. He was a very passionate person, and he was recognized throughout Sydney as Mr. Eternity. And Jesus called in the beginning in Matthew chapter 4 just ordinary people like you and I. They were fishermen and illiterate as well, probably. There was some measure of learning, of course, in their, in their, in their life and so on. But in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19... Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. I wonder what a Jesus follower would look like. They themselves didn't know very much at that time. But Jesus then launched in chapter 5 of Matthew, unpacking what a Jesus follower would really look like. Um, the character, the life, 
And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It actually runs from chapter 5 of Matthew, chapter 6 of Matthew, and chapter 7. There's 2,000 words in that message that Jesus brought to explain to the people exactly what a Jesus follower would look like. It was radical, and it was very different. And I'm going to read the opening introduction, if you like, in chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles with you, either electronically or in hard copy. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 right now and just see what a a Jesus follower looks like and what the impact it would have uh, on others as well. It's called the Beatitudes, or as one preacher said, the beautiful attitudes. Chapter 5. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. And let let me just pray and just welcome all those who are live streaming as well. Just so good to have you uh, connected in this morning. Trust that the Lord will really speak to us all as we share uh, on the topic. Uh, You can make a difference. Father, we thank you for the operation of truth. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you for the transformation power of truth. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that takes truth to drive it into our hearts to change us. I'm asking, Lord, that today we will be changed in order that we might be able to help others to change. Lord, you know where we all are. Some in the auditorium and watching who perhaps don't know you personally. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for the lean-in, for the interest, for the questions. We ask, Lord, that somehow by your Spirit you will answer those questions today and we will be willing to step into the kingdom of God and make a difference. Lord, would you encourage those who are a little bit discouraged? Would you help those who are feeling a little bit frazzled with life? For those who are not feeling very well this morning, we ask for the healing power of Jesus to come and and rest upon people. Glorify yourself and speak, we pray. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Wow, that's good. Thank you so much. That's good. 
to hear that little comment there. So we're going to really look at, uh, just backtrack a bit into these eight steps into the kingdom of God because it has a bearing on the two metaphors that Jesus actually used. If we miss living the life, we will miss sprinkling the salt and we'll miss shining the light. So it comes down to personal transformation. And as Jesus went up onto that hill or to that mount, if you like, that grassy knoll or mountain, he sat down and taught the disciples. He was explaining to them what a Jesus follower would really look like. And these beautiful attitudes kind of are cyclic in my view. They move from one to the other. And Jesus started by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for those who are, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If you want to enter into the kingdom, it begins with bankruptcy. That sense of absolute desperate need of God. It's, uh, it's hard to watch sometimes when people are reduced. They might be very, very wealthy. They might be very uh, you know, good at what they do, but there comes this, this space or this time where we become absolutely desperately in need of something more than what we've got. That is called poor in spirit. It's a very important place to get to in the journey of entering into the kingdom we recognize that we just don't have the resources of ourselves. And it might be that those who are here today, you've never stepped into the kingdom as yet. You have not yet acknowledged Jesus as king. Up until now, you are the king. Uh, you're kind of running your life. And Jesus says, when you get to the end of your rope, when you realize your own sinfulness and the sinfulness of sin, that you can't do life without, without God, you are ready to come into the kingdom of God. The response of that is step number two. So the Holy Spirit brings us to that place where we need him. It's a very powerful moment. I was at that point at 21 when I realized I just couldn't do life. And I said, Lord Jesus, what's wrong with me? And I felt the Lord say, Graham, you haven't given me permission to own your life. Let me be your king. That was my entry point. Step number two is this mourning, this deep sense of sadness about our own brokenness and our own sinfulness. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's second in the cycle as we journey through life. Actually, this is like a corkscrew as well. So we will go through these eight steps many, many times over in life. In fact, one old preacher says every 10 years, uh, we usually go through a pretty major crisis that place of renewed bankruptcy. It probably happens much more than that. So we begin to mourn. The next step is this step of meekness. And it's not weakness, but it's coming, it actually means brokenness. The Man from the Snowy River is a, was a very popular Australian mo movie, uh, for those of you who've watched it. And it, it talks about the, the, the Brumbies or the unbroken horses and how they take and broken horses and break them in. That's what this means. It means that we need to learn how to be bridled, how we need to come under authority. It's strength and power under authority. The great example of that was Moses, who was the meekest man on all the earth. But he had 40 years of learning in an Egyptian kind of university. So he was incredibly capable. 
Then he had another 40 years out in the wilderness, which was a bit tough. But an incredibly resourceful person who needed to come in humility and surrender to Jesus as king. Point number three is conversion point. It's like a point where we get to and say, I need to yield and let Jesus be my king. That is what it means. It's being bridled. It's allowing the Lord Jesus to direct you willingly, where you surrender and say, I acknowledge that you are my Lord and King. Out of that comes the next step in this cycle of becoming a Jesus follower is that we just hunger and thirst after righteousness. We've been living wrong for so long, now we want to learn how to live right. And so God has given us a Bible to follow that this is an amazing book that we learn how to do what is right in a wrong world. Hungering, thirsting for what is right. Living right, hungering and thirst after righteousness. So then we can live well in the kingdom of God. I don't know whether you've passed through those four points yet. or The next one is actually the overflow of this vertical relationship. The first Four are about relationship with God. The next four is about our relationship with others. We then begin to show mercy. Once you've received mercy, you want to show it to others. It comes out of a deep-seated sense of passion that Christ has changed your life. And now you want to go and show mercy to others and bring the mercy of God to those people who are so broken and so lost in your world. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And you reach out. And so as the cycle goes on, as God begins to use you, your heart will often be tested. And he says, blessed are the, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. you actually see more. You'll engage more in the horizontal of reaching out to others, as we'll get to in a moment. It's an incredible moment where you, as receiving mercy, showing mercy, and as God begins to use you, our hearts will often be tested, and, and our hearts will be checked to see whether or not we're pure, <laughs> you know, whether it's all about, you know, what I just did there. Someone got touched, if you know what I mean. And sometimes we can easily sort of fall into the trap of saying, well, I did a pretty good job there. <laughs> I've discovered that Jesus is very good at bringing us back to point number three again. <laughs> you know, you can't do it, Graham. You just can't do it without me. Come on. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Then we come into number seven, which is that peacemaking ministry of reconciliation and helping people. And the Bible says those Blessed are the peacemakers, they should be called sons of God or daughters of God. They're doing exactly what the Lord Jesus did, helping people be reconciled with God and helping them to reconcile with each other. So we're not troublemakers, we're actually peacemakers. And then finally, sometimes we're not always understood. Sometimes there's a bit of pushback. Have you found that? You start journeying with Jesus in the kingdom. You're transformed and changed. See, some people don't like that, and they don't always understand it. And you get a bit of persecution. And Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted, for they shall enter the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom lifestyle. It's part of being 
in the kingdom. I just wonder, because this is incredibly important, you know, as we, as we understand the lifestyle that Jesus has called us to. It's a transformed life. It's like Arthur Stace, who wrote Eternity, just a humble little thing, 500,000 times over 35 years, so many lives that were changed. It all began with the Beatitudes for him, and it has for me. Where are you in the cycle? As you look at the eight points this morning of transformation, uh, where do you sit? Are you kind of at the very beginning where you're recognizing your bankruptcy? You just can't do life without him. It's a good place to be. And maybe you've got that sense of mourning and sadness, you know, and sometimes tears will flow and, and uh, we're just overwhelmed with the sense of sorrow over our own sinfulness. The Bible says godly sorrow leads us to repentance. And we come to that place where we're bridled, where God breaks us in, where we become useful. A broken in horse is a very useful horse. Someone that God can use. It's very, very powerful. I wonder where you are. And I've written in the center, you know, this is a Christ-centered life. There's something incredibly persuasive about someone who lives this kind of life. Don't you agree? You get a radically changed person, there's something extraordinarily influential about someone who's living this kind of life. What actually will turn people off is there is any form of hypocrisy. So that's where it begins. It's life transformation. You might say, you know, Graham, I'm kind of a two. I'd like to get into three, but I'm just, I know God is doing something in me. Would you yield your life to God this morning 100%? You say, Graham, what, how do I get into the kingdom to surrender? I mean, I suggest surrender. It's hard to surrender. Your money, you know, it's not that you become irresponsible around these things. It's just that you've got a new king. You're no longer the king. You've got King Jesus ruling and reigning over your life. That's the good thing, is allowing him to take control. And out of a transformed life, comes this extraordinary sprinkling of salt. And Pastor Andrew unpacked this last week. So out of this transitioning through those eight steps, and you will corkscrew those things for the rest of your days, <laughs> you know, God will bring you again and again through that process so you can be changed from one glory to another by the Spirit. But now, sprinkling of the salt... Uh, we know that a little bit of salt brings a beautiful flavor. And where you work and in your neighborhood, because if you're a transformed Jesus follower, you will bring saltiness because you're different. There's something very powerful about a salty person. You know, we had um, someone come and visit us, and um, she said, <laughs> she, this dear lady, she said, young lady, she said, I'll make tea for you all. So she made a cup of tea, but she mistook the salt pot for the sugar pot. And uh, she delivered this cup of tea <laughs> and put a full salt, you know, a teaspoon of salt in a cup of tea. So she, it became a standard joke then whenever she went to make a cup of tea. Just wash the pots, you know, put the sugar in and not the, um, and not the salt, just a little bit. So we're not wanting to overwhelm people. We just want to live a kind of life. That, that creates change. 
and salt does that. It brings flavour. I love the story of um, William Wilberforce, you know, and Andrew, Pastor Andrew talked about William uh, last week as um, a guy who found Jesus in, in 1785 and became very burdened about slave trade. And through a period of time, he brought this beautiful flavor, but he also brought this slowing up of decay, the abuse and misuse of a group of people that were taken to be slaves. And he was able to, along with a number of others, develop the abolition of the slave trade bill. It took 20 years to get through, and he was able to make some changes. He also introduced the reformation of manners. Uh, you would think that, you know, that's a simple thing, but teaching people how to have good manners. He also in, introduced the church missionary society. It was a great passion for mission into the world. It was such an influential person. He also developed a society of prevention of cruelty to animals. Such was the radical change that came when he stepped into the kingdom. He was transformed, and as a result of that, he became incredibly salty. The flavor of his life was able to arrest corruption. Another very beautiful lady in history is Florence Nightingale. And some of you know about her, known as the Lady with a Lamp. She was the founder of modern, modern nursing, and she created a school, actually, where my mother did her training at St. Thomas's Hospital in London. She developed a nursing school there, but she became a Jesus follower as well. She recognized her bankruptcy. She recognized a deep sorrow over her sin. She realized she needed, needed to let Jesus be her king. And out of that lifestyle, out of that living, came this passion and desire to see the whole medical world transformed. And she did it by God's grace, a great woman of faith. Salt has great influence. It's only a little amount. And I want to encourage you in your home, in your street, in your workplace, if you live out those kingdom values, your, your people will see, see the change. I had a bloke come up to me once, and you just do life, don't you? And... I was working in Papua New Guinea, and this guy came up. He said, what is it about you, Graham? You're different. What are you on? <laughs> you know, he thought I was smoking something, you know. I said, oh, I, I, I've just come to a place where I realized that I just needed Jesus. And it was an incredible conversation. Quite fascinated uh, he was about how different I was, that I was joyful, but I didn't need stuff to make me joyful. It's just living out of that center where Jesus lives. We are the salt of the earth. Don't compromise your convictions. If salt loses its saltiness, you minimize your, your values, you will lose your saltiness. As brothers and sisters and followers of Jesus, we have a narrow road to walk, don't we? It's not a broad road. It's a wonderful road. It's Jesus' road. And when we invite him to be our king, he lives his life out through us. It's his life in us. When we allow him to be the king, we're bridled. He directs us. He leads us. And he takes us and uses us. Don't be 
uh, compromised. Salt, you know, the, um, apparently this is what they used to do with salt that lost its savour, is that the Romans used to put it on the roads to kill the weeds. It became trampled under feet. That's where it came from. When salt loses its saltiness, it's, not, it's, not, it's, lost, it's lost its saltiness. And I just want to drop in a little question. How are you? How's the salt? Your radical commitment to Jesus as king still there? Sometimes we can water it down and lose our sense of perspective and identity as Jesus' followers. Sprinkle the salt. You are a person of great influence when you follow Jesus and let him be your king. And the third, uh, the second metaphor that Jesus uses is that you are the light of the world. So he makes a very profound statement, the metaphor that comes out of who you are as a Jesus follower, as someone who's submitted to Jesus as king and you've allowed him to be the Lord of your life, then you become incredibly salty. You're quite radically different than the world. Is that true? You have a different set of values. You're quite normal, at least I hope we are. You're not you know, fruitcake or something, but you're just legitimate, uh, living life out in front of others and people see it and sense it and they taste it. Salt is very, very, I, I forgot to say that, potent. Persuasive life, potent salt. But now we come to the light. It's extremely powerful. And um, we're going to do a little exercise in just a while, um, about the light. But it's very personal. Shining your light is very personal. You are the light of the world. It's quite direct. It's personal. And um, <clears throat> I love, you know, when you hear eulogies at funerals, um, you know, the story of a life, I reckon we're going to say all that before people die, don't you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we should do a pre, pre-death experience, you know. Tell people how much you value them. And you go to these funerals and you hear this eulogy. And it's, a lot of it's light-bearing stuff. You hear these stories of what people have done. And these Jesus followers, as well as those who are not Jesus followers, they make a significant difference in the world that they live. And um, light is extremely powerful. But Jesus is the source of that light as we follow him. I want to read just a few verses here from John chapter 1 and verses 1 to 5. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made, um, was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Jesus is the light of men and women. When you receive the light of Jesus, and he says later on, and we'll look at John 8, verse 12, and it simply says this, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. So Jesus shines through us. That lady by the name of Mrs. Rose in 1975 stood before all the young adults in, in our church in Port Moresby. I thought I was looking into the face of Jesus. There was a light that came out of her face that absolutely transfixed me. She had gone through this process of being terribly persecuted and in, in a prison of war camp uh, in Irian Jaya. And out of all of that, some, you know, just life itself has, uh, you know, um, suffering and, and, uh, and transformation seem to go together. Uh, something happens when people go through hardship if it's done in the right way. And she shone. And I, I couldn't get my eyes off her. She just radiated the wonder and the beauty of Jesus. It was very personal. And Jesus shone through her. And so do we. We are who we are. We can't be something that we're not. We just show up. We, sh we show up to our workplace and our homes and wherever we are. It's the light of Jesus that shines out through our face. And it's quite remarkable. Even at the shopping centers, we've just been, people were drawn. It's quite remarkable. Um, even one, a uh, couple of folks said, do you always smile? <laughs> I said, no, no, not always. But today I am. It comes from the inside. It's wonderful to have peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Our sin has been resolved. It's been dealt with, and we are free. It's personal, but it's also very public. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand. It's light to everyone in the house. It's, it's very public. You put it on a stand. You're out there. You're shining. It's not as if you're beating up people with light, but you're shining. And it's extremely powerful because in a moment we're going to look at its impact and its effect uh, that you have in a public space. It's in the open, shine before people, but it's incredibly practical. It's interesting here, it says, let, let, let people see your good, good deeds. It's like light shining is done in a practical way. It's the practical activity of helping and uh, encouraging people, in, even in practical ways. James chapter 2, verse 26 says, faith without, um, is, without deeds is dead. So we live it all out. We, we help people. We do things that, uh, as light bearers. We, we let them see the good deeds. It's not we, we do it. We don't just do it to make a statement. We just do it because we love to do it. And people in this culture are deeply moved by those who help others. Very interesting. I was uh, uh, doing a little bit of research here um, in regards to uh, McCrindle, a guy who, they, uh, a research group, and he said there's something like 13,000 churches in Australia. There's 61.1% who call them, who are aligned to, to, to Christian. They're, they're not necessarily cri committed Christians, but they're, they're actually sympathetic, or they would call themselves, identify as Christian. In the survey that he went on to do, he said 28% of Australians 
really are, are um, affected or impacted by Christians who live the life. 28%. In other words, as we authentically live out our life in front of others, those who are not yet Jesus followers, or those who may be on the peripheral, if you like, they might have Christian in name, they love those kinds of people. They lean into those kinds of people, those who demonstrate their Christianity by lifestyle, by good deeds. Now, good deeds will not save you, but it certainly speaks volumes to those around. And um, in the book of um, Colossians, it says this. I'm just going to read this powerful statement of encouragement. It says in Colossians chapter um, 4, verses 5 and 6, if I've got it here, verse 5 and 6, it says this, Pray that I, I may be proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that everyone, uh, so, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In other words, let your light shine out. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. It's extremely practical, but it's also very powerful. That when people see what you do, and it's done in the name of Jesus. They glorify God who is in heaven. It's having a witness, a story to tell, an expression of your faith to those that you're meeting with and sharing with. As we drop in just this final kind of outcomes of light bearing that we've been called as a result of living the life and sprinkling the salt and now shining the light, it attracts and awakens. It stirs people up and it's your light that's being sh shone out that causes people to ask questions. And so in six weeks' time, we're going to be doing this alpha course, an incredibly online course. There will be a, a course on run in, on Thursday morning, but this is a course that you can invite your friends to, as Matt said before, and just list out those three names and awake and just help people just uh, kind of move a little step closer by getting online and watching the course. In fact, my son, Andrew, who's a pastor in the city of Gateway City, said they've just started the course and four people have already given their lives to Jesus in that course. It's so wonderful to be able to awaken and use light to awaken and to help people come to a place where they um, can make some decisions and find answers to their questions. But it also exposes darkness, it uncovers things and, uh, in people's lives without you even doing very much. It's just your presence is speaking volumes as it awakens people, as it also reveals the wrong things in people's lives. Not to condemn, but to show them a better way. But it also, um, number three, it inspires change. Uh, we thank God for the many people that have come to Christ over the years and how God wants to use you as a salty person and as a bright person to shine for him. And finally, it gives direction. We can point people to Jesus and help them make that same 
decision to follow him. We're called to make a difference. And out of who we are, out of living the life, an authentic life lived out in public space as Jesus followers has an enormous amount of power. It's very persuasive. And out of that comes this saltiness, this difference that we are. We sprinkle salt wherever we go. It's extremely potent. But also we shine the light. It exposes darkness. It helps people to see and find a direction and we can point them to Jesus. I'm not sure how you're feeling about all this. It's a great thing that the Holy Spirit does the transformation. He allows us to sprinkle the salt. He helps us to shine the light. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to take, in just a moment, we're going to take these little lamps that you've been given uh, this morning. And, uh, but before we do that, I want to say a prayer. Because uh, perhaps some of you that today have never really stepped into the kingdom of God. You've not done what um, little Annie Rose has done as a young girl, and she gave her life to Jesus. But perhaps at this particular point, in the Beatitudes, you still sit right up in the early part. But you're rocking around to number three, and you're prepared to let Jesus be your king. And it's out of that relationship with God that your life will affect others also. Could we just pray a moment? Just before we uh, sing a little song, it's a, ch it's a children's chorus. We're going to switch the lights out, and then we're going to do a little bit of an exercise. David is going to lead us in a song uh, on the guitar in just a moment. But perhaps as you sit at number one, living the life, you say, you know, Pastor Graham, I, I, I don't think I've ever stepped into the kingdom yet. I'm very aware of my brokenness. I'm aware of my own wrongdoing, the stuff that I've done in my life. Uh, but I've not stepped in yet. I haven't yielded my life to Christ. But as you've been speaking, I've been thinking, you know, perhaps in your life you've been thinking, you need to do it. And the Holy Spirit's tugging, uh, tugging at your heart. And only Jesus can wash away your sin. Only Jesus can transform you from within. And you need to admit your sin to God and say, I'm sorry, this is, I've sinned, I've done wrong, I'm, I'm a broken person. And, um, but I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died for me on a cross. You paid the price for my sin. And it amazes me that you would love me. And I believe in you. I want to commit today. I want to give my life to you. I want you to surrender. I want you to be my king. And as I'm speaking now, perhaps you're feeling that nudge that touch from heaven and God is calling you. How amazing out of 8.5 billion people that he knows where you are. I'm going to invite you just to say this simple prayer. It's costly, but Jesus will do the miracle. Just right where you are. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that you're speaking to me. I know I've sinned against you. I've done many things wrong. I'm a pretty stubborn person. I've lived my life my way. But today, I want to give you my life. I want to come into your kingdom. 
I want you to be my king. Would you wash away my sin? Thank you for dying for me. You died for me. You died for my wrongdoing. Please wash me and cleanse me and make me new. I surrender. I yield. I give you my life. Lord Jesus, come in. Come into my life right now. I want you to be my king. I want you to take control. I want to get to know you as a friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you. Perhaps you are a Jesus follower, but you've lost a little bit of the fire. The salt is not as salty as it used to be. Your light is perhaps not as bright as it used to be. And you want to come today and yield afresh to him. That's a good thing. And maybe your passion for Jesus is dropped. Just quietly right where you are. You'd like to say this with me and reinvigorate that fire in your spirit, in your heart. Lord Jesus, it's me. I come to you today. I feel like I've lost something in my journey. I've lost that fire. I want the fire to be rekindled in my heart. Would you forgive me for my selfishness? I feel like I've lost sight of you on the journey. I want to give my life back to you. Take me, Lord. Cleanse me, Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I want to be very salty. I want to shine my light brightly wherever I go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen and Amen.